Colossians 3, starting verse 22. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Before we really dive into the text today, I first have to chase a rabbit. And if you read the passage with me, you probably know what it is about. In this passage, he spends a lot of time talking about slaves and masters. So we must then ask the question, does the Bible endorse slavery? While there's been people throughout history who've tried to argue for that, the short answer is no. And to understand what's happening even in this passage, you've got to know the original context in which this was written. See, at this time, in the middle of the Roman Empire, about half of the citizens of the Roman Empire were slaves. And most free Romans consider themselves to be above work. In fact, the only work that the free Romans did was supervising the work that the slaves were doing. Aristotle, for instance, he treated, um, he treated slaves as human tools to do the work that he needed them to do. This is the environment in which Paul is writing this passage. So then the other question we ask is, well, then why did Paul not attack the whole system of slavery? Why wasn't he standing on Caesar's footsteps demanding freedom for all slaves? Can I also remind you, this is not a democracy that Paul was in. This is a dictatorship. Caesar, he commanded everything, and you did not speak against Caesar. Protests would have done no good. In fact, protests would have only gotten you killed. So we, we have the great privilege of living in the United States of America, which is a free country, and we have the political ability to right social wrongs, which we've done in the past with women's rights, with slavery, with those things, women's ability to vote, slaves no longer be treated as, as, as something to own, but as actual people. And then today, we have the privilege to fight what is modern-day slavery, like human trafficking, for us to fight against things like abortion. We have the ability to do that because of the country that we live in. But in an empire where only Caesar could decide what became law, Paul understood that his best course of action was to help those people who were living under that empire learn how to be faithful just where they were. Which is why that he addresses this passage in this way. We see in the rest of the New Testament, Paul does encourage slaves, if they can become free, to be free. For instance, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 21. says, were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. On top of that, Paul speaks even against slavery, for instance, in another scripture in um, Galatians chapter 3. Here's what he says about those who are in Christ. He says, there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And what Paul did not realize in that very statement is that he was planting the seed that would one day overturn slavery in those words. Here's what we have to understand even more of why was Paul not addressing the social matters of the day? 
It's because Paul had one major focus, and his focus was the spreading of the gospel. And here's what Paul knew, that society only truly changes when people are changed by God one soul at a time. I love these words by uh, Warren Wearsby. He said, the purpose of the early church was to spread the gospel and win souls, not to get involved in social action. Had the first Christians been branded as an anti-government sect, they would have been greatly hindered in their soul winning and their church expansion. While it is good and right for Christians to get involved in the promotion of honesty and morality in government and society, this concern must never replace the mandate to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's our mandate as well, church. That as we are fighting for the rights of people and what we believe is true about how our state should, our government should focus and how they should run, we must always remember our greatest mandate has been to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, with that being said, let's move now to this passage and talk about work. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about how the gospel and, and Christianity applies to our lives. We talked about marriage Last week we talked about family, and today we talk about work and the workplace. So what, I, what we want to do today is talk about some principles that apply to the workplace, and then some principles that apply to just everyday living as a Christian. Okay, So some principles that apply to the workplace. Number one, the Bible does have something to say about how we behave in the workplace. The Bible has something to say about how we live. Many people think that Christianity is simply just about getting people to heaven. I tell you, it's far more than that. For instance, did you know that the first names given to Christians in the book of Acts was the way? Why? Because not only were they people proclaiming the way to life everlasting, they were the people that were proclaiming how to live life, how, how to live in the right way in which God had made for them, which God had put for all of us. See, so many people love to compartmentalize their lives. Maybe we say things like this, that church is church and business is business. We say this, that, that Christianity applies, my, my faith applies to what I do on Sundays, but it does not necessarily apply to how I live on Monday. I promise you this, that could not be farther from the truth. When Jesus came to be Lord, he became to be Lord over every aspect of our lives. The, the, the scriptures has something to say about how we act as we go to work and as we live. Second of all today, we, we see from the Bible that God is pro-work and we were made to work. We were created to do this. Now I know that many want to think that work came about because of the fall of man but if you read chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis, you see Adam and Eve working in the garden. They're creating, they're cultivating, they're naming all the animals. Do you know how many animals that is? That's work <laughs> if you're having to do that job. I mean, they are doing all these things for the Lord and it is good. And another great thing is this, that one day when we are with our God forever and we're in the new heavenly city of New Jerusalem, guess what we're also going to do? We're going to work. We're going to serve the Lord. And once again, we are going to create and cultivate the very ground and the earth in which God has given to us. We are going to serve God during that time. God made us to work. Now, yes, sin did make work much more difficult. 
In Genesis chapter 3, you see God tell Adam that you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. Work is going to be hard, but just because it's hard, it does not mean that it is not a gift of, of God that's given to us. With the, with the ministry that we do here, we help a lot of people as they are transitioning from working full-time into retirement. Many of you in this room, you've been through that. And you, you can probably know that it's not easy. There's part of you that can't wait for the day for that to get here. And the other part of you, once that day comes, you go, what am I going to do now? You see, what, we, what we've seen happen with many retirees is that when they go from working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and they are, are doing hard work to retirement, if they do nothing, those people typically do one of two things. Either they die quickly or they slip into depression. And here's the reason why. It's because we, work, that work brings a sense of dignity to our lives. That when we work, we know that God has built us to do something. If you don't believe me, just look at the times in our nation's history in which employment rates have been its highest. And what you'll see mirror that is depression rates go through the roof. Why? We're made to work. We are. Work brings about a sense of dignity. Paul talks about work a couple other times in the New Testament. And I think it's helpful for us to see and understand why God made us to work. For instance, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It says, To seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands, as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent upon anyone. Do you know what's interesting about these verses? The next verse is the rapture verse in verse 13. And so the verse right before he talks about God calling us home to be with him, he says, here's what you are to do. Lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and work with your hands. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That is what's right beside each other. Why? This is what God built us to do. We're built to work. Paul says this even more when he goes to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says this very seriously. He says, in fact, when we were with you, this is what we commanded you. If anyone isn't willing to work, he should not eat. For we hear that there are some among you who are idle. They are not busy, but busy bodies. Now we command and exhort such people by the Lord Jesus Christ to work quietly and provide for themselves. Do you see what is at play right here? This is how serious God takes work. When we look at the Bible, we see that God does not, God never condones laziness. Now, I am grateful for the country that we live in, that we have a social safety net for people who cannot work because of crises they've been through, because of medical situations that they've been through, because of mental disabilities that they have. I am grateful to do that and help support my brothers and sisters. But I have to also say this, that if the government pays people more to stay home than to work, what we're actually doing is robbing people of the calling of work and we sow seeds that will destroy our country in the future. It matters. Why? Because God is pro-work and He made us to do it. This is not just a burden that is put on us. This is a blessing that has been given to us as human beings created in the image of God. Next point that I would like to offer you, a principle for the workplace that we see from this passage, is that Christian workers are to work hard for their bosses as if they are working for the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 23. 
says, whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. When we are working, we are working for the Lord. Lloyd John Ogilvie was a, an incredible pastor. And he tells a story about having a young man on his staff that was the greatest associate pastor he'd ever had. And one day he went to go pay him a compliment. So he walked up to him and he said, I just want to say thank you so much for all the hard work you do for me. And his associate pastor responded. He said, I really appreciate that. But you have to know that I'm not really doing this for you. I'm doing it for the Lord. <laughs> That's why we work, is it not? You see, knowing Christ and being in Christ and knowing that you were created in the image of God and he built you to do this, it means that you're going to have a very different kind of work ethic because ultimately it's for the Lord. Can I ask you a hard question today? At your job, are you doing just the minimum required to get by? Are you working with the perspective that this is for the Lord? It's big. Some people are going to hate me after this sermon today. I'm just being honest right now. It's hard. It's something that we have to ask ourselves. And finally, a principle for the workplace. We talked about the employees. Let's move to the bosses. This passage teaches us that Christian employers are to remember that they will answer to God one day for the way that they treat their workers. Look at verse 1, chapter 4. Masters, deal with your slaves justly and fairly since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Paul is telling bosses, managers, those who have employees, that the way in which you treat your employees should be a direct reflection of how God treats you. And how does God treat you? God, yes, expects great things from us. He expects us to follow him and to listen to him. But God is also a God of mercy and a God of grace. He is a God who is there that when we mess up, he's there to pick us up and show us the way. He is a God who loves us and believes in us. And for the bosses and managers in this room, we should treat our employees in the same way. In such a way that the people who, who work for us should want to want, work for us because of the people that we are. See, we should use the power that we have as bosses the same way that Jesus uses the pow his power in your life. Use that power to lift up your employees to empower your employees, to make the workplace a place that they want to come to. Why? Because of how they are treated. It makes me think of a story from William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. He not only served the poor in his communities, but he was also committed to creating workplaces that not only provided jobs for the poor, but safe environments for people to work in that, where they wanted to go to work. At this time, when matches were made, a lot of companies were using a, a kind of, of chemical that was very cheap for them to buy, but it also meant that people were getting lung disease and their lungs were struggling because of working there. So he created a match company, and he decided to use a chemical that no longer hurt his employees' lungs. And it costs a lot more to make that match. But you know what happened? That match company ended up competing with and then even beating some of the other match companies, even though they were making less per match. And the reason was is because the employees were grateful to come and work there because they knew that their boss cared about them. We have that command as bosses, as managers, to know that we don't just answer for ourselves, but we answer for all of those in which we lead as well. Those are principles for the workplace. Let us move now to then principles for everyday life. This can apply to how you work, 
But this also can apply to how you live in your neighborhood. It can apply to how you raise your children and your grandchildren. This goes for every person in this room. And the first principle is this, that everything you do should be done with enthusiasm. Verse 23, it says, do this from the heart. The very center of who you are, everything you do, do it from the heart. Henry David Thoreau, he said, there is no person so old as the one who has outlived their enthusiasm. I'll be honest, this is something that's not hard for me to do. I just, I ooze enthusiasm at all times. I love being enthusiastic. But maybe for some of you in this room, you're coming here today and you hate your job. You hate what you have to do. You hate what it is that you're going through. But we have to remember in that moment that our enthusiasm doesn't just come from the job that we do, but it comes from the Lord that we serve. That's where the enthusiasm comes from. And when we begin to pair both of those together, it even changes the job that we do. Uh, Wilfred Grinville, he, was a, he served for about 50 years amongst the Eskimos in Labrador as a medical missionary. And the only reason he had to retire is because his faith began to fail him. Well, one day someone recognized him and they saw that his secretary was with him. And so they went up to the secretary and they asked the secretary, hey, can I just go and talk to Wilfred? I would love to spend some time with him. He said, you can see him. He said, but don't talk about Labrador because he'll get so excited that he won't sleep tonight. (laughs) What if that was the way in which we lived our lives? That is done with enthusiasm. That we can take the hard things in our life, we can take the lemons in our life and we turn them into lemonade. Why? Because it is greater than just the job, but it's the God that we serve while we do the job. Second principle for our lives This ties in with the first. We ought to live our lives more concerned by what God sees than what people see. We need to live more concerned by what God sees than what people see. Look at verse 22. It says, don't work only while being watched as people pleasers, but work wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. It says, don't be worried about the people in your work. Fear the Lord as you work. Let that be what matters most in your job. I can remember one of the first times Pastor Steve let me preach in this pulpit on a Sunday morning. It was early on after I've gotten here and he was supposed to be gone that Sunday. So a little less pressure. Well, I show up Sunday morning and their travel plans had changed. And he says, Justin, I'm going to be in the 815 service there with you to support you during that time. And I want to say, I don't want you to be there in the 815 service, Pastor Steve. (laughs) He said, Justin, look, no pressure. I just need you to hit a home run. Thanks. So just be Hank Aaron in the pulpit. I appreciate that. That means a lot to me right now. And I can remember sitting there. And not only was he going to be there, but he sits on the front row. So you can't help but make eye contact with him. And to be honest with you, instead of praying, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit as I'm walking up the pulpit, what I'm saying is don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't mess up. I get through the first sermon, and as we're going to the second service, Pastor Steve was not going to be there. And as I was preparing for the service, I just kind of got hit. Like, the Lord hit me in the soul. And I began to think, who am I preaching this sermon for? Is the sermon ultimately for Pastor Steve, or is the sermon ultimately for the Lord? I am called to honor him. You see, what we must remember is when we work when we live in the neighborhoods, when we serve our kids, when we work in that way with our grandchildren, 
that our audience, our primary audience, is not our bosses, it's not the other employees, it's not even the people around us. Our primary audience is an audience of one. That's who we are called to serve. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says, all that matters is what he says and what he thinks. And do I honor him or do I not? Living this way, working in this way, means that your life is going to look very different than the lives around you. It means that your work ethic is going to look very different than the work ethic of the people around you. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because it means a life lived like that means that you might have the opportunity to tell those people who you really work for. And that is the Lord. Frank Milligan, this past fall, sent me, I just embarrassed him in here a little bit, but last fall he sent me a story about his dad and how his dad came to faith in Christ. And it was after I had shared on a Wednesday night about my own family and who had led my parents to the Lord. And I couldn't help but want to share this story today, Frank, for all of our people. When Frank's dad was out of high school trying to make his way through college, he took a job working at this this company where they made railroad cars. And if you can imagine, it was dirty, grimy work. Most of the guys who worked there didn't have anything more than an eighth grade education. But Frank's dad was determined to pay his way through college, and so he took the job anyways. But as as he was working, he noticed this group of three grimy men who would meet together every day for lunch. And as they ate, they had a book open, and they would read it, and they would talk about it. Finally, Frank's dad one day gets up the courage to go over and talk to them and ask them what they're doing. And, And Johnny, who was kind of the lead guy amongst them, said, Well, every time that we get lunch together, we also like to read the Bible together and talk about the Bible together. And so Johnny invited Frank's dad to be a part of it. Problem was, Frank had never owned a Bible in his life. He didn't know much about the Bible. Well, Johnny said, no problem. I've got the book of John right here for you to read, and I think it could be helpful for you. Well, Frank's dad, this man who's going off to college, wanted to be a learned man. He said, ah, what can it hurt? What can it hurt for me to just read the Bible as well and see what they're so interested in? So he goes home that day, and he begins to start reading the book of John, and he is struck by all the incredible verses in the first couple of chapters. He's struck by verses like John 3.16 that we say every week. And the next day, he shows up, and he goes to eat lunch with those guys, and for every day, he begins to talk about the Bible with those men. He said that those men who had nothing more than an eighth grade education began to answer all of Frank's dad's questions about the Bible and about faith and about Christianity. And before too long, Frank's dad himself had become a Christian. Not only that, but Johnny invited Frank's dad to church with him. And it was there that Frank's dad began to grow in the Lord. On top of that, something that Frank's very grateful for, it was there that Frank's dad met Frank's mom. And, and they came together and they got married And it literally changed the trajectory of their entire family. I want to read to you Frank's word near the end of this letter he sent me. He said, I think about what may have occurred if they hadn't been there in that dirty, noisy railroad car factory, or if they hadn't invited a college kid to join their Bible study, or if Johnny hadn't invited dad to attend his church. Dad may never have been saved, never met my mom, and I would not be here today and neither would my wonderful children or grandchildren. Isn't, it, isn't this a marvelous story of how our great God works things out? And I love this. He says, when I get to heaven, I want to thank Johnny and the guys for their faithful witness that led to my dad's changed life. 
Stories like that happen because people realize that who their ultimate person they work for is not their boss or the people around them. It is the Lord. And it means that we live very differently. It means that we work very differently. And as those things happen, it opens up the opportunity to tell people about our beautiful Jesus. That's what we should have as the desire of our life. Finally today, let me leave you with this last point from this passage. Don't think that Friday is your only payday. Look at verse 24. It says, Knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. Why do we work hard? Why do we do these things? Because we know that we have an incredible inheritance that's waiting for us. You see, I am grateful when Friday comes so that I have food to feed my family and have a roof over my head. But there is something much greater that is waiting for you and me. A rich inheritance that is made possible for us because of the sacrifice, life, and death of Jesus Christ. That we will be with Him forever. And not only that, the great promise for us is this. That as we serve the Lord and we do work for Him, that we store treasure up in heaven. This means that as sons and daughters of the King, that you are sharing in the wealth of the King. And you might not have much in this life, but one day you will have more than you ever can imagine. So why do we work hard today? Because we know what's waiting for us, church. We know who is waiting for us. And we do that willingly. We serve the Lord because that is true. Let me leave you with this as we conclude. Give your work situation to the Lord. Some of you come in here today and you love your job. Some of you come in here today and you hate your job. (laughs) Man, it's hard. Some of you come in here today and you're thankful that your job time is over. (laughs) No, there you go. Some amens on that one. (laughs) Can I just tell you this? Wherever you are today, might your first focus be pleasing the Lord, serving the Lord, and allow everything else to be dictated by that. Let's pray together. God, we love you so much. And we thank you for the truth of your scriptures. God, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to work. The opportunity you've given us to serve you. And Father, we thank you that we are not done. Oh, we are just beginning. One day we will serve you with our fullest. And it's going to be good. But in the meantime, while we are here, be with us. Help us keep the right perspective. And let us do everything for your glory and your glory alone. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray.